It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Sitka reported three new coronavirus cases last week. Two of the new patients are Sitka residents. One is in his 30s and the other is a young man between 10 and 19 years old. The third patient is a non-resident, also under 20. All three patients were tested earlier this month, and none of them were experiencing symptoms at the time. All three cases are tied to community spread, and all are isolating in Sitka, according to the city's COVID dashboard. The local COVID alert level remains low. Since the start of the pandemic last year, Sitka has reported 331 coronavirus cases. Two cases are active, according to city data. At the end of last week, the number of fully vaccinated people in Sitka increased slightly from 49 to 50 percent. Now, 60 percent of the eligible population has received at least one vaccine dose. Health officials downgraded Petersburg's COVID-19 risk level on Monday. Petersburg's Emergency Operations Center announced the community has changed to moderate risk after three weeks at the highest level. That was based on an outbreak that saw Petersburg's active case count peak at 68 in early March. COVID case numbers have been dropping since. The EOC reported several new cases over the weekend and said the active case count was at 13 as of Sunday afternoon. However, some of the recent cases are reported in households that already had COVID infections in other household members who were already isolating. The EOC also said fewer people are being tested, which can drive up the positivity rate. Vaccination rates also continue to rise. Inspectors from the state's health department visited Juneau's Bartlett Regional Hospital in January after an employee complained of an unsafe workplace. Then, in late February, the hospital got a notice of the violations, which were generally related to infection prevention. Acting CEO Kevin Benson told the hospital's board of directors that the hospital had 10 days to respond with a plan to correct each problem which needs to be implemented and in place uh, within 90 days or, yeah, more bad things happen. The hospital's infection preventionist, Charlie Gribben, says the hospital had good policies but wasn't always following them. For instance, the hospital set up a screening station at the front door, but inspectors saw people come into the building, get a mask, have their temperatures checked, and then walk right by the hand sanitizer. You don't want to accuse somebody of not washing their hands, but also at the same time, you really do have to say, hey, wash your hands when you walk in the building. And some staff weren't filling out an internal symptom screening worksheet when they came on shift, sometimes for weeks at a time. Another issue is that a staff member turned up for work feeling sick and was allowed to keep working despite the criteria to be sent home. Gribben says this happened right around the time that most of the staff, including the employee who had symptoms, were getting vaccinated for the virus. At that point, I was thinking that it was a side effect of the vaccination and it was still mild and we would test her, but yet it didn't meet the threshold that she needed to go home. It turns out that the employee had contracted COVID-19, but Gribben says that staff member wore a mask at work and washed her hands and ultimately didn't spread to other employees that had worked with her. And despite the embarrassment of being called out, Gribben says she's glad that inspectors came and called attention to places where the hospital can improve. She says the Department of Health nurses will come back to the hospital and make sure its plan to correct the problems is working. Bartlett isn't the only hospital in the state to be dinged for COVID-19 infection control issues. 
The Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta Regional Hospital was sited last August, and the Samuel Simmons Memorial Hospital in Ukiapik was sited in November. The Dunleavy administration's plan to replace six state DMVs with unnamed private vendors is facing pushback from lawmakers across the political spectrum. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, there is concern that rural residents would have to pay higher fees, drive hundreds of miles, or even take a ferry or plane to take driver's tests or register vehicles. The Dunleavy administration says privatizing DMV services in a half dozen communities could save the state around a half million dollars. And Division of Motor Vehicles Director Jeffrey Schmitz told House lawmakers that all but one of the six offices slated for closure has served less than 1% of Alaska's population. These were other factors that were considered in selecting these locations for this proposal is the few transactions that those locations actually process. The plan by the Department of Administration is to sign up private vendors to offer DMV services in the communities of Haines, Homer, Valdez, Eagle River, Delta Junction, and Toke. They would be allowed to levy service fees on top of what the state already charges that officials admit could end up doubling the cost of driver's license renewals and other routine services. But even urban lawmakers seized on this as an unfair cost shifting onto rural Alaskans. Anchorage Democrat Garen Tarr says smaller communities already have a higher cost of living. They shouldn't be asked to pay more to access state services. I, I just feel uncomfortable because to me what, what I'm supposed to take away from this is sort of like if fewer people live in a community, they're somehow less important Alaskans or don't deserve the same level of service. That was echoed by Sutton Republican George Rauscher, whose district covers a swath of interior Alaska, mostly north of the Glen Highway. I just don't know whether we're thinking this out all the way through. Uh, rural areas are going to take the hurt more than than non-rural areas, and that's a fact. All of the DMVs targeted for closure are on Alaska's road system, except for Haines. Its highway runs through Canada, which has severely restricted travel across its borders throughout the coronavirus pandemic. Roy Getchell, the Haines School superintendent, told Coast Alaska that for high schoolers, losing the DMV would be a major blow. You know, for a student that needs to, to take a driver's exam, it would mean, you know, trying to find a ferry, and you know what a struggle that has been, and, and take that and get an exam over in Juneau and then come back on the ferry. It would, it would be days at a time at, at pretty serious expense, you know, for their family. The plan has also been panned by state Republicans who are allied closely with Governor Dunleavy. Here's Kenai Republican Ben Carpenter. Those in the rural communities who may not have um, another option to go pay for a wasted time at the DMV are now going to pick up a bigger burden than those in urban areas. And I don't, if, if that's the only option we've got, I'm not sure that that's a good option for people living in rural communities. Under questioning by committee members, Department of Administration Commissioner Kelly Chewbacca, who oversees the DMV, assured lawmakers that the administration wouldn't close the six DMV offices if lawmakers reject the idea. If we were going to close these anyway, we wouldn't have put them forward as a budget proposal. We would have just done that. But lawmakers aren't taking her at her word. Her statements are inconsistent. We need to keep the DMVs open. That's Anchorage Democrat Zach Fields. He told Coast Alaska that lawmakers can't directly dictate how the executive runs an agency. But what you can do is prohibit the Department of Administration from closing DMVs in communities with 900 people or more 
which would have the effect of protecting all our existing DMVs. He says he'll be introducing a House bill that keeps DMVs open across rural Alaska. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Bresnik. Ketchikan residents woke up this weekend to find their homes, cars, and roads covered in as many as 20 inches of heavy, wet snow. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, they weren't alone. Communities across southeast felt the impact of a late winter storm. Ketchikan doesn't often see nearly two feet of snow in a day, especially not this late in the year. The storm knocked out power in the early morning hours Saturday. The thick, heavy, wet snow contributed to at least two severe car accidents. Ketchikan Police Lieutenant Andy Berenson says one car skidded down a steep hill on Friday night and landed in Ketchikan Creek. I went through the intersection at Park Avenue and went up and over the sidewalk and railing and ended up uh, essentially vertical in the creek. Another driver went through a guardrail on Hennigan Street above Ketchikan's Alaskan and Proud grocery store around midday Saturday. The driver was medevaced out of town with serious injuries. The snow didn't just wreak havoc on Ketchikan's roads, it also sank three boats in the harbors. Dan Berg, the city's harbor operations coordinator, says it's a lesson on why mariners need to check on their vessels during a storm. Um, there was about 12 to 15 inches in the harbor, and uh, that weight uh, took several boats down. The three boats were a 20-foot pleasure boat and two trollers, a 30-footer and a 42-footer. It's tough to put this storm in historical perspective. The region certainly isn't used to snowfall like this, but precise records here in Ketchikan can be spotty. The airport used to measure snow totals, but that stopped in the 90s. These days it falls to citizen scientists who report weather data, co-op observers who share their readings with the National Weather Service. Forecaster Kimberly Vaughn says the total of 20.8 inches from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon is one of the largest snowfall measurements recorded in the past 13 years. But Vaughn says it's still well off the all-time record reported more than a century ago. 31 inches was reported on February 6th for the most snow um, in one day in 1911. But Vaughn says the timing of the snow is not all that unusual. Ketchikan usually gets its last flakes of the year around mid-March. Ketchikan bore the brunt of the Friday night storm, though Thorn Bay and Wrangell each saw 8 to 10 inches. Ketchikan got a few more inches on Monday, but by then most of the snow was concentrated in the central and northern panhandle. Haynes reported 10 inches by noon Monday, and at least 7 inches were reported in Juneau. Pelican and Yakutat each also reported more than seven inches of snowfall on Monday. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. I'm Aaron Fulton, and this has been Raven News. Mm-hmm.